What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Three Things Podcast. This is a pretty uh, big episode, I think. This is actually going to be episode number 20. Um, there's a secret episode, number 19, that hasn't been released yet. Uh, it was recorded last Monday with Justin Rabinowitz, a chiropractor out in northern New Jersey. That is going to drop at a later date when his book releases. So we're going to bypass number 19, jump right to number 20, and we have our, the first ever guest, Dr. Stephanie Allen of Boston PT and Wellness joining me tonight. We also have a couple other viewers that are in the Zoom room with us. Um, this is a live podcast, so if you logged in under Zoom, um, you're here, you'll be for the Q&A section, and there's also an Instagram live camera to my left, um, and we're going to give that a go. So I don't know, maybe uh, my mom will watch it recorded tomorrow. Um, you know, maybe your parents will watch it too, Steph, I don't know. But, they have no um, idea how to do that. And uh, yeah, so we're going to roll with that. And uh, we're going to get started here. Uh, <laughs> Steph, I don't know if people listened to the first uh, episode with you in it, but um, let's just tell everyone kind of where you are, what you're doing, and a little bit about yourself. All right. I'm a physical therapist in Boston at Boston PT and Wellness, and we're just trying to kind of, uh, you know, I work with a pretty forward thinking group and we kind of all nerd out and, and bounce ideas off of each other. Um, we eventually, I think at ho hopefully this some point this year, um, expand somehow. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, I guess I just, I got a couple things going on on the side right now. Um, little side hustle things that, uh, that I'm proud of, but I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. So so. You can talk about those because you know that's going to be like the first question I ask. I, so if I, you want to talk I, about I, them, you can just get that out of the way right now. <laughs> um, well, I do. I, I have to give Zach credit for one of these. Um, I just started contributing to Science for Sport, which is um, mainly uh, strength and conditioning research magazine. So essentially, um, similar to to what is it, physio ed, or what is, um, Zach, what is it? You're, oh, Zach's oh, muted. Everyone is muted. No, okay. you can just talk to you. <laughs> You're talking to me. I don't know why I'm blanking. Um, He'll type it. I mean, it sounds like it's similar to, like, the Journal of Strength Conditioning, but maybe a little bit more physio diverse than some of the yeah, yeah. Um, so essentially, information they produce. Yeah, essentially, um, we write sort of glorified abstracts of two or three articles a month um, that are, relevant for coaches and clinicians. Um, they just added um, a rehab and injury prevention section that they hadn't had before. So they're trying to kind of do big things with that publication. And um, I just submitted my second um, group of appraisals. And that's that's been really cool because I had been mentioning that I wanted to get back into some of the research. And this um, you know opportunity came up and I kind of pseudo interviewed with the creator, Owen. And um, he decided to take a chance on me. So now I'm fulfilling my sort of want to get back into the research side of things, specifically ACL. That's kind of like my my little rabbit hole of interest. Um, yeah, I get, I get excited about it. So now I have um, a little bit of a fire under my butt to, to do that. And also, um, you know, at, at least 
at least once a month, read a couple things about ACL. So yeah, it's a great way to stay involved for sure. Um, so for those that are, are logged in, whether it be on Instagram, um, on Zoom, or if this is your first time listening to the recording on iTunes, Google, or SoundCloud, the three things is named after the three random questions I have written on a sheet of paper in front of me. Steph doesn't know these questions. None of the uh, guests ever do. Um, the point being that these are more prompts than questions probably. And, and the real reason we do this is to drive conversation. Um, in the fitness industry, there can be a lot of people that take sides, so to speak, and be like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm this and I have to answer because I'm known as this and this is my beliefs. And I think sometimes it can misconstrue the information that's put out there. And um, I know the audience that listens to this tends to be pretty young. There's some students um, on the strength coach and physical therapy side of things that listen to this. And I think it's just a great way to bring the most raw, candid, authentic perspective, point of views to the audience. So um, Steph, you are, you're the first ever guest on the three things. You did a podcast before it was even a podcast. Um, are you ready for the next three things? Um, I, I guess I am because the first one, you didn't even tell me we were recording. The first <laughs> so we're, we're already ahead of the game. Hey Steph, let's make this a podcast. Stop, stop, stop the conversation. Let's push record on this. Um, okay. So I guess my first question, and this is something that I've noticed an uptick in your social media presence. Um, I love it. I love what you and, and the whole Boston PT wellness crew are doing, um, as far as kind of pulling the curtain back. A little bit um, a lot of case studies a lot of examples a lot of you know like real life um, you know I said patients but a real life real life experience real life treatment how important is it that PTs quote-unquote air quotes if you're listening to this pull back the curtain and kind of show why why their treatment is why it is where they're starting and, and kind of putting the pieces together you're saying how yeah. I mean, just like how important is it that PTs do that? Cause I don't really, you know, I'm a strength coach, but no one really like when I have conversations with strength coaches, they're not like, Hey, this is where I start. They're like, no, I'm an FMS guy. So we do all of the things that you would see Greg cook do with a cook band. And that's, what yeah. we, you know, like, how is that? Why is that so important for PTs to, to, to ex kind of expose themselves or to kind of show, Hey, this is what we're doing and why. Well, one, so there's, there's two things I can think of mostly. One, you almost sort of say it in the question um, that the why behind things is important. So no offense to anyone putting stuff out there about exercises and techniques of doing things. I think that's great and it's helpful. But I had a conversation with um, several people in the, in the weeks leading up to the series that I'm putting out right now. And just thinking, I didn't even know what the answer really was for me at the time, but I just know, I just knew that I wanted to put something out that wasn't that because, because other people are already doing that so well, strength coaches, other PTs and everything. So I wanted to do something that would bring value, but also, like you said, I think pulling the curtain back is a really good analogy um, because basically I wanted to address something that we don't talk about much. Um, and then the other side of it is, is that I still think that there's kind of, um, an unreal amount of people that don't really know what PTs do. Um, and unfortunately a lot of those people are doctors. So like I said, I, I don't know how many doctors I'll actually reach, but, um, you know, other strength coaches, other PTs, that's something, if this kind of series is something that can help those people do their job and help other people, then that's a win for me because, you know, I have 
I have not seen very many things, some, but I haven't seen very many things talking about how you talk to patients. So when I kind of, when we sort of at work, we're talking a lot about how all these patients, all these new evals are coming in with these completely misconstrued views of things that were actually, um, and things that they were being told that were actually contributing to some of their symptoms because they were, whether it was afraid to move or they're hung up on their imaging or something like that. And I know from talking to other PTs that this is so common. I was like, well, duh, why don't I just tell people how we talk to people? Not saying that we know the exact way. There's more than one way to do it, but um, it's something that myself and I know everyone I work with is really passionate about. And we, you know, we are lucky we get an hour with people for, for an initial evaluation. And I would say that, we probably spend 40 of those minutes, you know, probably 15, 20 minutes on the exam because a lot of times we're just ruling out red flags, but we, we spend a lot of that time talking about how maybe they need to change their activity or it's a little bit of pain science education or not. Not everybody needs that, but we spend a lot of time educating people. Um, and I think that that part of it is, is really important. I think a lot of people don't think about that when they think about PTs. They think exercise. Yeah. Um, and I would argue that's the easier side of our job. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, I, I, and I was one of those people until I, I started getting a little bit more involved with our PT clinic um, at the facility that I'm at. You know, it was, hey, ultrasound, stim, <laughs> some K-tape, um, and, you know, maybe some manual release stuff of, of you know, quote unquote, tight muscles or something like that. And I think it's just been from someone who I'm not a PT, I actually kind of go out of my way now as a strength coach to not even really touch a client unless it's like a poke, like be like, Hey, get your shoulders down here. So, you know, like something like that, but it's really refreshing to kind of see what someone who is referring to me or I'm referring to, you know, just see how they would go about it. You know, I think that's something that, you know, from, from a strength coach perspective, like I know when someone has a pain response that I don't, don't know, or it, you know, comes in with, with a, you know, with some red flags through a screen or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And they're going to see it just a, a, <clears throat> with, a with a physical therapist. You know, I don't yeah. know what they do, you know, like HIPAA rules and, and, you know, when I work with young athletes and whatnot, you might not be in the room or whatever. And, you know, so it's like, you know, that it's good and they need to go see someone, but you don't really know what that person does. And it's the same thing, like you're saying with, with surgeons, with doctors and, and other medical practitioners in that setting, like, yeah, they go get a consult with a surgeon and, and no one really knows what that, that consult looks like, you know, or, or what they say, how they say it, how they present it. And I just, yeah. I mean, it's mad props to you because I know it's definitely not easy putting yourself out there. Um, hopefully the conversation that started has been super positive because I know I'm loving yeah. it and I love, um, you know, just kind of seeing how someone thinks, you know, even though I'm not in the kind of the same realm as you, but just seeing that thought process is super, um, you know, super beneficial and, and has helped me, you know, so thanks Bo. <laughs> um, the, the last thing I'll say on that too, is that I, I don't, my intent behind something like this and, and making more public the fact that we have to do this sort of de-education and then re-education for people based on what they're told is not to come at doctors or to other, you know, other clinicians or the internet sometimes, cause that's where they get this crap, <laughs> but really just to, to put it out there because you know, this is, 
it's fairly intuitive in the sense that, you know, doctors and other clinicians, they probably know this stuff. They just don't realize the weight that their words carry. So it's not necessarily, they're not trying to do harm. I understand that, but it's just something that needs to, it needs to be addressed because it's contributing to pain. So um, that was kind of the, the the other half of the intent behind this other than kind of, um, you know, letting the people that are already doing such a good job on on the exercise front and maybe technique front um, quote front, you know what I mean? Like there's people that do that stuff so well. Um, So I just wanted to, shake it up a little bit, I guess. Yeah. Um, that kind of segues and I I touched on the second thing, um, beforehand, we were talking before we hit the record button. Um, and then you like started to like give a good like explanation to stop, stop, stop. We're going to wait till this records. (laughs) But, um, and I, like, I, like I told you, I don't want to assume this, but I think it just comes naturally with, you know, when you do start to put out content, more information, or just put yourself out there in general, whether it be on the internet or not, um, you know, imposter syndrome. This is something that I, I deal with almost daily. Um, it feels like almost daily, but yeah. how do you deal with it? You know, like, is it, are you finding it be more prevalent? Have you ever felt it in the past? Like, how do you, how do you deal with it? Um, prevalent, I think is probably a nice way to put it. I think that I do deal with it every day. I think that I have for a long time. It's part of me to, to question myself, even though at the same time, you know, we, especially being coaches, clinicians, you work with patients, you have students, you know, I have a student right now and and your first inclination is to, to instill confidence in them. And then when you turn inward, you're kind of like, you question everything you do. Um, I think the only way that it's been getting better to be honest, is actually the repeated putting yourself out there. Um, I'm fairly new to it. Again, I'll have to give Zach some credit for this because he pushes me to do that too. Um, And as far as like, quote unquote, dealing with it, um, it's a lot of trying to flip, you know, like self-talk for me, you flip it around. So instead of thinking, you know, like we were talking about before, instead of thinking like, you know, well, why you know, why me? Or is this person, this person's asking me advice or this person, whatever, thinking more along the lines of, you know, yeah, I mean, I do have some stuff to offer. And I think, I think that I could help this person. I think I can benefit this person. Um, and that doesn't mean that it's easy <laughs> to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. but I think that for me to just, just, reaching out and networking with people has definitely instilled some confidence too. Um, and agreeing to do things like I, I spoke at, um, Northeastern last week. It was small, smaller class setting or whatever, but things, something that like a year ago, I probably would have never thought of doing. Um, and it was scary, but now that I kind of have that under my belt, it's like, okay, like, you know, and then the other thing I think that that helps me is thinking of the times that I do feel really confident. I think some of the the times that I feel most confident are actually with my patients, like one on one, and how much I'm um, I'm educating them. And then I think like, well, what makes me giving them makes me giving information to other people in like a in a class setting or a podcast setting or whatever that is, where I'm not really comfortable. How is that any different than me talking to my patient? Yeah. And then there's sometimes that 
Um, but then once you, you kind of, you kind of have those under your belt, you build off of it, but, um, it's not, I don't necessarily think it's anything. It's something that will ever really go away for me, but it's also something that I'm not sure I necessarily want to go away because if you don't sometimes, and maybe question isn't the right word, but if you don't sometimes have a little doubt or a little bit of anxiety with things, then I don't think, at least for me, then that's almost part of my motivation to like keep doing new stuff. Um, yeah. I think you just hit the nail on the head. I think is if you, you know, like part of it is like, okay, you're doing something, you're going to feel uncomfortable with it. You kind of can expect it to come, you know, like, Hey, should I really yeah. be doing this? Like, what do I know? What, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, but then to kind of look and be like, Hey, you know, like, if you can flip it, like you're saying, like talk to yourself, like, no, this is a great opportunity take it. And as long as you're okay with being mistakes or making mistakes, um, you know, yeah. and like growing from them and be like, no, this is a great opportunity for me. And, and I'm going to view it just as that. And, and I'll reflect on it after whatever we're doing is over and, and kind of grow from it. Then, you know, it kind of pushes you, like you're saying, pushes you to be a better version of yourself. You know, I, I feel like, and, and I don't know, like, a lot about the psychology behind it, but I know it, it's very prevalent in every industry with most people, any age, you know, and it's something mm -hmm. that I would talk with young athletes about kind of more frequently than not now, especially when yeah. this time of year, you know, spring athletes are trying out for what it be varsity or JV or, or an AAU team or travel team or something. They're like, well, you know, I don't really know if I have the skills and it's, it's self doubt, but it's, mm -hmm. it's targeted self doubt at yourself. And at the same time, like, you know, like, Hey, that's what you train for. That's what you prepare for. And that's right. where education comes into play too. And you know, it's like, Hey, if you're confident with what you got and you're smart and like go out there and fucking crush it. It's an explicit yeah. podcast. People, I don't know. Instagram live might get pissed at that, but um, <laughs> just go fucking crush it. Well, um, yeah. And I, I'm about like 10 pages away from being done with mindset right now. And she actually, Carol Dweck, it puts a lot of her own research in there. And I think that, um, you just, you just said it really well too. It, it, it is a mindset. And, um, I think that when you become okay with effing something up, <laughs> then, right. and no, cause that's, that's the, the thing. Like I'm almost 29. So there's been a lot of things that I've made mistakes with that like I got really worked up about and then really weren't that big of a deal. So what I find myself sometimes doing too, as far as that whole self-talk is like, dude, Steph, what's the worst that could happen? Right. And usually when you actually, even, even the worst case scenario that you think, which usually doesn't end up happening is like you live. Like, <laughs> it's not, it's still not that bad. You know, so yeah. you could think of the worst possible situation and it's still like really not that bad. So I think that's, that's another little piece of it too, where I, I end up, one of my strategies has been like, okay, so let's think right now, what's the worst thing that could possible, possibly happen with this. And a lot of times then once I think of what's, what's the worst thing? I'm like, all right, now you're just being stupid. Cause it's, that's, that's definitely not going to happen. And this other thing that's good is probably going to happen. And then you're going to be shaking your head at yourself. So, um, for anyone else now who, who thinks that I'm a crazy person that talks to themselves, um, <laughs> I do. <laughs> well, well, I'm not, well, I'm not denying it. So, um, that's, there's, there's definitely a lot of internal talk there. Um, and there's a lot of days where I suck at it. There's a lot of days where I'm just like, you kind of, you kind of still have a little bit of your own pity party and then the next day you're better at it. But I'm not, I'm not claiming to be great every day. Cause that's just silly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
So I want to move on to the third thing here. Um, and I heard your uh, podcast on the Central at Central Virginia Association of Sports Performance. It's like yeah, this. Yeah, my man Jay. ASP, I think. Um, it's a great podcast for those of you that uh, have never heard of it. Um, if you just simply type in at CVASP on Instagram, you'll probably find it. Um, and if you type in Central Virginia Sports Performance on iTunes or the internet, you will probably find it as well. You, really um, quick, sorry. He, I found one of his old podcasts on youtube with tim hewitt anybody who is is interested or has done research in the acl world tim hewitt is literally like the man and i'm about halfway through that one and it's unreal so just just a nice little tidbit for the the sea vasps podcast <laughs> big plug for the sea i should get like a royalty for that or something <laughs> um. So you talked about a couple different things and, and one, and, and it's probably like a layup question, but I, I hope that the follow-up question kind of maybe just spells it out a little bit more for um, people listening. You know, like you talk a lot about neuromuscular connection. Mm -hmm. Can you just kind of like really easily explain what that is and then how it plays like, like what a coach, a strength coach or another PT should be focusing on when they're trying to work the neuromuscular connection. Okay. So most of the time with patients, um, when we're talking about neuromuscular control, cause it's kind of a crazy sounding word. Um, I tell them it's like the, the brain to muscle connection. So specifically for kind of honing in just on ACL, um, how I make, how I explain usually is that, you now have a, even if it's a ACL that's from another part of your body, you have a, a different ligament there. So whether it's from your patellar tendon, your hamstring tendon, they've been taking some from quad and Achilles with some new procedures. Um, it's, it's native to your body, but it's not the native ACL. And your brain and your nervous system are so friggin' smart that they know that. So things that were easy to control, specifically single leg control, balance, um, even just, you know, we call it uh, dynamic jump and land, those things that all kind of have been shown with research to put you at higher risk, depending on how you're doing with those things, um, they're harder. So you also have, the second half of what I'll explain is that you have a map of body parts in your brain. It's called your homunculus. That's a great <laughs> word. Guys, it's, it's pretty hilarious. <laughs> essentially, it's true. Like the, there's, a, there's a drawing. If you Google that, it's pretty funny. There's a drawing of literally different body parts and where they correspond to um, both motor and sensory. So like motor muscle contraction, sensory, like um, skin, touch, those kinds of things. Um, different parts of the brain correspond to different body parts. So if you have an injury, if you have surgery, if you have um, inflammation in one of those areas, that connection and control of that area and, and its map of that area in your brain gets what's called smudged. So essentially, you just don't have as much, even if, even if you are telling that body part to do it, like you know exactly what you have to do, you can do it on the other side. Um, it's hard harder for a while and it's weaker for a while after surgery. Um, so that brain muscle connection should be once you get inflammation down and range of full range of motion back, especially with ACL, that needs to be 
your focus if you want to get back to running, jumping, cutting those types of sports. Because if you can't control, you know, we call it in the clinic, if you can't control your shit on one leg in an, in a predictable environment, you're not going to, there's no way you're going to control it in an unpredictable, fast paced game. Um, and, you know, I've been doing a lot of diving into injury prevention stuff. Um, and there's definitely some programs and protocols uh, with a set of exercises and, and progressions and regressions that have been helpful and have reduced risk. But at the end of the day, you're not going to actually prevent injury from happening. It's just that I think that this whole neuromuscular control and then as far as PTs, PT goes, taking them that step further from just doing some of that neuromuscular control exercise and then integrating it into um, jump and land speed work and working with coaches like you, I think that that's the, that's the missing link that, that little kind of gray area between, you know, they can control their shit on one leg really good in the clinic and we can try and perturb them and and do some unpredictable things. But I think between us and the strength coaches, that last phase and return to sport, because we do a little bit less on the conditioning side. um, I think that's where there's going to be, I think that's the money maker part, but. So is it a matter that. of intent? Like, is it, you know what I mean? Like, so it, like, is it, is mean the actual exercise part a strength? Yeah. Like if it, if you're like a strength coach and you're working with, with someone yep. you know, four months post-op and they've just got cleared to run in a straight line, like, is that like where it starts for a, a strength coach on the floor? Like, is it just making sure that that limb is moving with proper intent in the proper position like not letting, letting the situation or the chaos overcome you know, a knee that has a chunk of hamstring where an ACL once was, is that, am I close? Yeah, no, uh, like alignment and, and how they absorb force too is really big. So, you, you know, with the jump and land, the kind of quintessential, don't let the knees dip in that valgus or whatever. Um, not super picky on things like squats or anything like that, but when you're, when you're generating the force to jump and when you're accepting the force on landing, um, those physicians have been shown to be to increase risk. So it's really important or if you're going to be anal about anything, like those are the things that you want to be strict about with them. Um, but then the other thing is, you know, linear running, like forward and back, and, and even a lot of times frontal plane is is pretty easy. It's some of the – it's when you get into cutting, you know, the, the plant and twist type things um, where you have to be a little bit more careful with that. But I think that as far as intent, um, you know, from the, from the rehab side, we do a lot of things, single leg. Um, you want to do things like close your eyes and kind of give them perturbation perturbations, which is basically just kind of, you know, hit their arm, hit their leg when they're standing on one foot, um, because it, it, it trains balance at a, at a much higher level. Um, we do a lot of plyo progressions, you know, jump land from boxes, rotational stuff, single leg hops, those kinds of things. Cause those are all in the return to sport tests. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I don't know if that directly answered your question, but I no, think- I mean, like with most questions, it's however you interpret it is the answer that I want. So no, I mean, like I just, you know, for me, you know, like I heard that and, and I was like, well that, you know, I kind of like know what neuro, like I, like I get it, like neuromuscular control, but like from a strength coach, like we see the client, we see the athlete, we see the individual well after, Right. Incident, you know, like that, whether it be like, Hey, I tore my ACL eight months ago. It took me a month to have surgery. It took me, 
you know, I saw, started seeing PT a week after and I've just gotten cleared six months. So it's been seven months and I've done, I'm post return to performance and I'm now able to go play 90 minute soccer games. And then you get this athlete and you're like, Whoa, like what is going on? Mm -hmm. And it looks like they're moving with another, someone, you know, with someone else's ACL in their knee or a hamstring for an ACL now. And, and you're like, Oh boy, you know? And so anyone who's listening to this, if you've ever had an athlete with a lower extremity injury come into your facility on a performance side, uh, you kind of know, like they're not moving with two working parts, you know, whether it be ankles, whether it be, you know, even tibial, you know, fractures, whatever it might be ankles, knee stuff, you know, it gets, you just kind of know. And when you explain it to an athlete, like, I really like, like how you're talking about, like, just even like closing your eyes and absorbing force and like, things that will present to an athlete like, Hey, you still have some homework to do. And mm -hmm. don't think that just because you passed the test and you're not in a clinic anymore, or you don't have any more doctor's visits with surgeons to follow up on everything. Like you're not in the clear yet. Um, you know, so yeah, like totally answers my question. I think anyone who, who does, you know, work with athletes and you do see a lot of knee injuries, obviously we're up in Vermont, um, big soccer state, big ski mm -hmm. state, you see a yeah. lot of ACLs. You know, that podcast that Steph did with um, the Central Virginia pod, like that Central Virginia podcast is like, it's a really a must listen because Steph does nerd out a lot harder than what she <laughs> just did uh, in the last five minutes talking about ACLs here. Like quite literally, I think um, I should do just an ACL only podcast with Steph, but um, that oh might, my God, Casey, it might be the nerdiest question I've ever asked on this podcast, but um, no, I think you answered it fantastic, you know, so. Okay. Um, and what I want to do now is I want to unmute, um, our four people here in the, the little zoom room and see if they have any questions. I'm going to check the IG live real quick. Um, so we got Zach, Dave, Lindsay, and Kristen Callahan. You are unmuted. Um, except for Dave, Dave is muted himself. So he <laughs> doesn't like you stuff. Um, have, oh, there he is. If you guys have any questions for Steph or myself, please fire away right now. I, I don't like her very much, no. <laughs> <clears throat> I second that, David. <laughs> you guys are the worst. Because they love, we love you. We don't like you, we love you. Thanks, Kate. Well, I'll go, Steph. So two of the things that stood out to me in your answers to the questions or with your first one, it seems like you're stressing more of like, for lack of a better term, like the therapist role in physical therapist and the term physical therapist, um, where, I, where it kind of seems like most people don't realize that that's like part of it. Um, and then like kind of tied in with that, what I'm hearing with your, the last question, you and Casey talking about like, the crossover between the PT and the strength coach is that like communication between those two is like a real integral part yeah. of it. So in your ideal, in your ideal dream world of like how it would work, what would it be? It, it's not an integral part. It's a must part. Agreed. If you have an athlete, it's a must. So how do you make that? Um, you reach out. We, we just ask them for the coaches. If we don't already, see, I think in our area, most of the, the higher level athletes we get, either, either Dave or somebody in our office 
at least knows of the coach. So it's not really hard for us to get in touch with them, but it is usually as simple as, you know, as we're winding, winding down in the clinic and, you know, we're probably down to once a week or once every other week. And we do mostly um, some of the plyometric training. We've been doing a lot more of um, blood flow restriction training just to kind of um, keep up with the, the strengthening on that side. Um, And that's probably a discussion for another day, but um, when their training with the strength coach comes back into play um, and, and starts to weigh a little bit more on the strength coach, then, you know, we, we can, we simply just ask the athlete, you know, would, would you and or your mind if we talk to you and just make sure that they understand the healing process and that, you know, even if you're, even if you're completely killing it, you know, six months back to full sport is not really enough time. Um, yeah. And speaking of the guy who gets, gets the athlete post post clearance, or even when they're still seeing PT, whether it be, you know, we're just training like upper body or, or other qualities that we can, um, you know, like, you know, and far as like, if, if you're, and I feel like this is kind of where we are in 2018 now is like, if you're not reaching out to other practitioners that are seeing your client, whether it be even like a, a general practitioner for, like blood pressure issues or anything like that, or, or like in an athletic sense of a physical therapist, making sure you're not doing what they want or, or, you know, whatever it might be, you're not really providing the best care to the client. Um, but I mean, it can be tough. And I don't know, like you guys are in a super competitive Boston market. Like, is there ever like an instance where you do call and like, Hey, strength coach, like quite frankly, is like, Nope, my way or the highway or vice versa. Like another, maybe someone had treatment somewhere at a different clinic and now they're coming to you and you call the other clinic to say, Hey, like we've got so-and-so do you, you know, like no sharing or I don't, I don't know. I'm not a PT, but like, I know you can request information or MRIs from surgeons or whatever that is. And, and like, you don't get them. Um, Dave, you might have more experience with coaches not necessarily being compliant. A lot of times if it's a doctor, I don't freaking want the imaging unless it's like really warranted because the imaging is probably just going to contribute to them fixating on something. Um, I, I, I think it's I think it's pretty rare that a strength coach would deny insight from a treating physical therapist for a post-op case where you're saying, okay, this person is now six months post-op and we're clearing them back to you. Uh, I think that's rare. I think every strength coach I've dealt with is kind of taken open arms to that to say, yay or nay, what I can do, can't do, etc. cetera. Um, PT to PT wise, that's probably a little bit more of a scratchy subject. Um, if someone's coming to you because they maybe disliked their, their PT experience. Um, I think that's less of a case where we would reach out. Um, I would probably reach out more to the surgeon or the PA if that's a post-op, um, and say, Hey, you know, where do you see them? But strength coach wise, I I haven't had an issue, um, because they're, they're happy that we want to progress them to a point where, where they're done with us. They're, you know, right. they're past the point where they need to do more just strength conditioning and stuff like that. So that's my piece. Super valuable. Thank you. 
So to kind of follow up to that, where does, how does that impact our general population people, our non-athletes, our weekend warriors who still maybe want to go back to skiing or playing soccer or whatever, and they just have, like, your generic personal trainer, not a strength coach, like, what would you do in that situation? Wait, do you mean, like, a, like, BSC trainer? I mean, whoever, you know, like, there's a lot of, you, you know, we know the people that you see. I have <laughs> like a story. They... I have a story. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, so I had a weekend warrior, like, six-year-old fellow who's the man with a little bit of some hip arthritis, and he's crushing it. And, you know, he's been seeing his same trainer for the past 20 years. But, you know, I looked up online to try and do some research. Couldn't really find anything out about him. He didn't really pop up. I shot him a text to try and connect with him, but he was kind of just ghost. And I even saw the patient again and had told him I had reached out to make an effort. But, you know, this trainer clearly wanted nothing to do with it. And um, I think it's tough. You know, that's why you look at people like Casey and KCAL and people that are, you know, passionate and getting con ed all the time and learning from people. Those are the, you're not going to get those trainers turning you down from a PT. Everyone wants to learn, especially if the PT doesn't come in like a poop head and is like condescending and arrogant. I think it'll always be well received. Yeah. You know, I think just kind of adding to that, like, I think, you know, I work in a commercial gym um, where there's trainers of all, all levels, all experience levels and all attitude levels. <laughs> um, you know, and sometimes you do, you do have those trainers that are like, listen, like I, we're going to train this way. Um, I know you jacked up your knee and you just saw PT and your PT PT is telling you to not train. And your, your, your trainer's like, you got to train because I got to get paid. And like, it can be a super tough situation on, um, on like the, on the client, you know, like if PT's telling you don't do this and a trainer's telling you don't do this, but I think Zach, like you just hit the nail on the head. Like it, it comes like when, like if you're referring down the chain or if you, up the chain and you know, someone is going like to a personal trainer and you're asking those questions and you're finding the information, you've got to reach out whether it's up or down. You know, if I refer an athlete back to physical therapy, I'm absolutely following up with the PT, um, you know, whether it's at our facility or not. Um, and sometimes the phone gets picked up. You know, if it's a PT clinic that does sports performance, it's a little bit harder, um, you know, but at that point, you know, I, I've even gone as far as showing up at the other place, introducing myself and just saying hi, um, you know, and sometimes they can put a face to a name and that totally helps. But um, you know, I think at that point it becomes, you know, client responsibility. At some point you got to educate the person, um, that you're working with. If they're coming from an injury, this kind of hopefully answers your question directly. KCAL. Like if you've got a gen pop client and they're at a commercial health club and, and you have exposure to them, whether it's, um, a fitness center orientation and that person is seeing the, you know, for someone for a free demo, um, or if you're a PT or medical practitioner and you're seeing that client post injury, making sure you educate them as to what their next steps should be, um, or being able to point them in the right direction. Like educating the client is always going to be one of the best answers for almost any situation. Um, you know, and, and even maybe making a recommendation is like, Hey, yeah, you should, 
maybe, you know, you should be seeing a trainer for this much time to help you get back on your feet. If you do want to be a weekend warrior, uh, like you once were or to that same level, um, or even just making sure you know of a couple programs that they could go into, um, that are, you know, general fitness programs that they're not going to like, you know, jack themselves up. They go to orange theory and force them on a, on a treadmill or something like that and get their heart rate to a certain point. And they're like limping their way through the treadmill or something like that. But, um, now I think educating the client and then even making sure you know where you're sending them next, um, you know, to different levels or different, different extremes is, is super important. But, um, that's kind of my two cents, just seeing it from a commercial health club standpoint. So I, I want to add to this that I think also the gen pop trainer also needs to do their due diligence. If they're really worried about their client yeah. and really worried about their income to seek out a therapist or a practice that is not going to be that, that clinician that's going to say, I don't want you going to see a personal trainer. <clears throat> so I think they have to do that, you know, and that's the whole point of what Zach said. If, if this guy, this trainer, this said trainer would call back, Zach's not going to tell him he can't, you know, he can't do X, Y, Z, shouldn't do this. You know, I don't want him seeing you. You stink, stuff like that. The whole point is to say, hey, this is what I see. Maybe if we do things a little bit different, this is, this is what my experience has, has come with. And you, know, and you know what comes out of that communication? That client is super pumped. That client is super excited on both counts. And you know, he's going to run right back to that trainer because that trainer took part in now his PT care. So I think that I think these trainers have to, you know, strength. I agree, Kekal. I think strength conditioning coach, Gen Pop trainer, there is a difference. <clears throat> For instance, we happened just this week. We had a a local in town. I would call more Gen Pop training facility. <clears throat> is he a strength coach? But he doesn't really see the athletic population. He sees more of the gen pop caseload and, and, you know, the weekend warrior, so you say, and, and he reached out, he, he's doing his homework. He reached out, he came, visited us. He said, Oh my God, this is, this is such a great place that I now know who I want to send my clients because look, I know they're going to come here and get reiterated of what I want them to do in terms of if it's squatting or deadlifting or, or exercise. So that to me is a great gen pop trainer who does their due diligence to seek the clinicians that they want help with their clients with. Any other questions from the gallery? Steph, I'll jump in. So my question for you would be, you guys obviously have a great collaboration in your clinic with how you guys want to focus on communication with your patients. So coming from a student's perspective, when you're looking for a job or you're looking for who you're going to work for, how do you, A, find out if they're for that type of communication with patients and kind of their philosophy on that? Or if you're working under somebody and that's not how they practice, how do you think it's best to educate them on you wanting to do things differently because it's obviously easier if you're all on the same page and you're all treating kind of with the same method. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think the, the second part, the second question is way harder. <laughs> Especially if you're, you know, 
if the, you're just starting the first out. The question is, as a, an employer, <clears throat> and I think people can attest to this in my, do not take a job without, without hanging out in the clinic prior to. Um, go through your interview, do whatever you love it. It's great. If they don't offer it, which I think they should, um, ask, be like, Hey, you know, I'd love to, as part of my interview or, or whatever, I'd love to come hang out with the clinic for half day, you know, chat with the clinicians, chat with the front desk, see what the, the dynamics are, because that, that is, should be your decision. It shouldn't. Yeah. I hate to, it shouldn't be dollar cents benefits, you know, stuff like that. Um, so that's your, the answer to the first question. Uh, yes, I agree. I would have said that. And then also, um, ask if you can sit in on an eval too, because I think that you, if you see how, um, we, we talk a lot about this therapeutic alliance, that that's not something that's, that the PT makes an effort to do day one. Um, that might be a little bit, a little bit irky to me. Um, and that's something that I wouldn't necessarily have looked for as a new grad or, or in one of my clinicals as a student. I just wasn't really aware of that kind of stuff yet. Um, so I would definitely say that. And then I actually am lucky enough to not really have been in a situation like you described in the, se the second question. Um, but we have to, we, you know, we've dabbled talking about it a little bit. Um, and I really think that if you are respectful about it, if you, you know, back yourself up with a little bit of research and, and just approach it more as like, um, you know, an open-minded thing and, and would you guys mind trying this? Or, or even especially if you're, if you're a student or a new grad and, and you're wanting to do like maybe you could even say like, um, like I want to try this case study thing or I want to, whatever, would, would you guys be on board if I, if I gave this a shot? So it's almost like you're semi telling a white lie and like, you want to try this new thing, but really, you know, it's kind of the better way of doing things. And then, you know, when you quote unquote present on it or you give an in-service or whatever that is, um, you can kind of show, showcase what you know is actually kind of the better, better way of doing things. Um, and that's just an idea. And that's also because I'm, I'm spoiled in the sense that other than a couple places during travel PT where I didn't put in the effort to, to make big changes, knowing that I was only there for a little while. Um, you know, other than those situations, I really have been super lucky both in, in my residency and, and uh, here in Boston. So that one I, I can't do or can't answer based off of experience, but just sort of from my own head. <laughs> what you would do next if you had to do it again? What do you mean? Like if you had to do it again, like you're a student, you're graduating, knowing what you know now, how would you do it? That's a great question, Lindsay, by the way. Oh yeah, Thank those, you. that was a very hard question. And I would ask a lot of different people that question because I think that um, you'll get different answers and you'll get helpful answers because everybody's course is a little bit different. <laughs> And that adds a, to a probably a massive deba debate in the in the PT education world with residencies versus not residencies versus fellowships versus I mean that's a a massive debate mm -hmm. you can sit on here for hours. Um, Zach wouldn't and, have anything to say about it, and probably get a lot smarter people <laughs> to weigh in than than especially myself. But 
Um, I, I, for one, Lindsay, being an employer, um, I also look at even the student or the potential employee's interaction with the staff. I think it goes both ways. Um, uh, that to me is, is key in any potentially small practice, um, even large practice. I mean, culture is everything. And I think that the fact that you're asking that question means that you really care about culture too. So you really need to engulf yourself in that culture for at least a little bit to, to feel that you'll fit in. A plus lens, good question. Thank you guys. <laughs> Stephanie Allen, where's a, where do people go to find out more information about you? Um, we have cute little bios on Boston PT wellness, uh, website. No, no, I'm kidding. There's actually not a lot of stuff on there. Um, mostly Instagram, um, and, and a little bit more on Facebook as of late. Um, your Instagram handle. It's Steph Allen. <laughs> I know last time I had to think about it. Well, this, <laughs> this will all be in the show notes, um, <laughs> for sure. And as well as the Boston PT and wellness website, um, and what publication are you, are you reviewing for now? Um, it's called performance digest, but on, on Instagram, it's science for sport is mostly where they post stuff about it. Um, cause it's like the digest is part of, it's like the publication of science for sport. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so we'll science also put that in the show notes as well. Thank you, Sully. And tell, uh, as Owen, you said his name was? Owen, yes. Owen, I said thank you for sharing the information for this podcast because he did that today and it was very nice of him. He's, he's a very um, nice guy. Um, awesome. Well, I would like to thank Lindsay, Dave, KCAL, Zach for jumping on, uh, all of the viewers on Instagram live. This should be up on uh, Friday this week. So I look forward to sharing that with everyone on iTunes and Google. Um, Dr. Stephanie Allen, thank you so much for joining me as well. Always a pleasure to have you on. And uh, I'm sure we will do this again because why well, not? yeah, episode 40, right? <laughs> yeah, one, 20, and 40. We'll do it. We'll just, every 20, we'll just, we'll just rattle another one off. Well, this is perfect because it's just about my bedtime anyway. So, <laughs> so that's, that's, that's the cutoff point for me. <laughs> hey, take it easy, guys. I appreciate all, right. all of you. Thank you.